Dictionary.com defines burning question as an urgent or crucial issue under heated discussion, which is pretty much every episode of this show. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we are opening up the mailbag and taking some of your questions on all sorts of things, including what is the deal with game reviews and embargoes? I'm Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. And we are back. Hello. Hey, hey sure it's us. Yeah. It's us. It's lovely to see you both as we come to the end of October. The year's almost over, yeah. you guys. We're almost Ooh. here. We made I it. know. I've, I've been planning a few things out just related to various projects, and they're going into 2022. You know, the oh, first wow. time you do that is always kind of a big moment. I was like, oh, this, I'm like scheduling something through February of next year. It's just a weird mm-hmm. feeling. Are you just Same scheduling like exists. time off for Elden Ring? Like, just <laughs> yeah. like weeks and weeks of time? Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm really scheduling my gaming time. That's, yeah. that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I was going to say same here, except I'm scheduling time to make you guys both play Sweet Coden 2 when I win. So confident. So confident in his predictions. You know Um, what? I didn't see a Switch Pro come out this year. That's the only prediction I made that I remember. I think that means I'm winning. So (laughs) I'm not going to worry about it. I don't remember mine that well either. Maddie, if I remember correctly, I haven't read them in a while, but if I remember correctly, Yeah, that's part of the game. You thought that a PS5 would be widely available but before vaccines. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I don't remember that. I We don't yeah. need to talk about this until the day comes that we talk about our predictions. We're getting ahead of ourselves. That's not what this episode is. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Hey, uh, if you like <laughs> listening to us babble about our predictions and you like supporting the show, you should know that Triple Click is entirely supported by you, all the listeners. Um, we are part of the Maximum Fun Network, and if you become a maximum fund member you can help us support help support us help make help us make this show possible um and if you do that not only do you feel real good about yourself you also get a bonus episode every single month um from us you also get access to a whole bunch of other cool bonus stuff from our sister shows but um we do a bonus episode every month and in fact this month we are doing Mm. an episode where we spill the beans aka do a spoiler cast on Outer Wilds, one of our favorite yes. games, all three of our favorite games, including and the expansion, including, the new expansion, yes. Echoes of the Eye. We will be getting into all of that stuff. Very excited. That should be up for subscribers, for Max Fund members. That should be up by the end of this month, probably next week. Right, Kirk? When, when is that going to be this, up? Like Monday? This coming Monday, right? I believe, yes, it will be up this coming Monday, unless something cool. goes horribly wrong in the editing process. And can I just say... Because it's not going to be my one more thing and I don't want to paywall this, I know the only time that we've talked about Echoes of the Eye was, Jason, when you said you'd played part of it and then you got to something you really didn't like. I just mm-hmm. want to say that I thought it was absolutely incredible. And now Me everybody too. listening to the show can know that I think Strong that. agree. Yes. So okay. good. And if you want to hear us really talk about it, yeah. Beanscast. <laughs> yeah. It's also one of those games that you can't talk about without spoiling it, quite that frankly. That is true. So that That's is true. just about all we could even say. So don't yeah. feel like you're missing out, but also you totally are missing out because you yeah, should play you it first of all out. and then listen to the Exactly. Beanscast. Play it, then listen to the Beanscast. Well, play it, become a Maximum Fund member, maximumfund.org slash join. And I mean, in whatever order you want to do those things. I don't know. Whatever works for you. Yeah. Enter a black hole, go back in time, have already <laughs> become a member <laughs> um you have to carry the object to become a yep. max fund member and then you yeah to... you carry your little membership card <laughs> yeah uh if you want to become a member if you want to hear by the way i'm a little bit more down on it than you guys are but we'll discuss yeah um, well you already got to complain about that on the show so. go to maximumfund.org slash join to become a member help us make this show happen thank you all so much to those of you who do that and thank you to those of you who just listen that's totally fine too we appreciate you no matter watch yes all right on with the show this week we are reaching into that old mailbag that big old bag full of letters and answering some of your burning questions we are taking some listener questions today um and yeah we have a whole bunch of questions about all sorts of things just so you know if you out there listener want to submit a question to the show just send it to triple click at maximumfund.org brevity appreciated the shorter the better. Yeah, but send us questions. Send us weird questions. I want more weird. We, these are some good ones. I yeah, like. Yeah, send us weird ones. Just unexpected. We topics. do. Yeah, we have some good ones this week. Yeah, unexpected these are some topics good ones. are good. Um, mm-hmm. Weird is good, but yes, short, please. One one paragraph is ideal. 
If you want to, if you want to maximize your this chances. This is spoken as spoken like a guy who has to go through the mailbag for this. Show. Yeah, Kirk and I were like, "What do you mean? Make them as long as you want." And Jason's yeah. like, "Ah, uh, please." <laughs> I don't know the show, Maddie. Since you volunteered to read the long ones here, you can you can. Wow, I guess start I did. Off with this sure. One. Okay, uh, so this this message is from Alan, who writes. He so he was paraphrasing. I paraphrased this at the beginning, but basically he was just talking about cyber. Yeah, this is starting in the middle of a thought, Alan. My apologies, but <laughs> anyway, Alan is writing to us about video game reviews and deadlines. And continues, I know a lot of times journalists will get advanced copies, but they can be without the all-important day one patch. And for those that don't send advanced copies, you'll still see the all-important Metacritic score pop up within a day. In the case of larger open-world games or JRPGs, etc., surely they're not meant to be played by rushing through and trying to hit a deadline so you can write a 7 out of 10 review for the internet to then scream at you. Another <laughs> example I saw of this was Yakuza Like a Dragon, which by a number of major critics was critiqued for its difficulty spike. But I found this wasn't the case if you leveled up through its abundance of side quests, which maybe some didn't get to finish because they were playing the game ASAP to get a review live. I have noticed Metacritic blocks user reviews on games for a couple of days to encourage people to play. Do you think they could do that for professional reviews? Or is the day one review too important for clicks and discussion, perhaps to the detriment of the score of a game? So I want to start I want to start with Kirk on this one, because I think Kirk has reviewed the most games out of any of us. I'm not that it's a contest. I think those are just the facts. And I'm I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about this ongoing issue. But before Kirk, before before you give your thoughts, can you just explain to listeners out there who might not know how the process worked? Sure, this is how the process worked. Uh, I guess three years ago when I last reviewed a game, two years ago. So maybe <laughs> it's completely changed. But I, I gather from the two of you that it hasn't. You reach out to the PR rep. There's usually there's a whole system in place for each of these major publishers. They send you usually ahead of time. They'll give you a sense like, oh, you know, we're going to have review copies at X date. But a lot of times the games are kind of coming in hot. So there's a lot of just sort of technical wrangling, especially these days, because they're all coming digitally, but it's like, well, this doesn't have the day one patch, so there's a review guide that we're going to send you that's embargoed as well, and you can never really share that. It's like an internal document. You read through it, it sort of tells you, okay, these bugs exist in the game, but they're going to be fixed on day one, but we're getting you this game early so that you can play it. So you're kind of playing sometimes a weird version of the game, sometimes the online features aren't activated, things like that. So you get all these caveats. Then you get a code for the game, you download it. Hopefully it just works. Sometimes it's just the whole game and it totally works and you just get to play it well in advance. Sometimes you get it like three days before the review embargo lifts. So anyways, that's kind of how it works. It's all something that you agree with with the publisher in the interest of getting the advanced copy and they want to kind of control the flow of information and also have it not be a total free-for-all. But the result of that, it kind of varies depending on what game you're reviewing and what the circumstances are. It could be a game where you really just are not going to have a sense of some fundamental aspects of it when the review embargo lifts, which absolutely happens. At Kotaku, we would often, if, if memory serves at least, we would often push the review back if that was the case. The reviewer would go to usually Stephen when Stephen Totillo was our editor-in-chief and be like, look, I am not going to be able to give a solid sense of this game. So you would maybe run a the, like review in progress or something. There's all these kind of weird workarounds to it to try to get around this process that Alan is asking about, which is absolutely an imperfect process and a very difficult mm-hmm. one to work through. At Kotaku, it's worth noting there that at Kotaku we had the luxury to do that because we were just we had so many dedicated readers that like we weren't relying on that Metacritic day one traffic the way that a lot of other sites do. Um, we didn't need to care yeah. about that as much. Right, though I think that, well, that gives an interesting perspective on this question just because I think that if you're working at a site where you're just like totally, you know, uh, tethered to Metacritic and to the whole process of like getting a day one review up and like really chasing clicks and your site's survival depends on it, like you're trapped in a very, or at least pretty dysfunctional system that yep. if we're talking about solutions and ways to make this better, at, the, at least my personal experience with this sort of a thing is in a much better situation, even though it's mm. still got problems. Like, it's good to be looking at it from a kind of best case scenario. Sure, but that's rare, is my point. Like, I don't even think an IGN could get away with doing something like that. Yeah. Right. I, I don't really know, I guess, because I've never worked there. But so anyways, um, yeah, I think this question is a good one because... You know, it gets at a lot of the practicalities of review writing and what a game review is actually for, which is something I certainly thought about a lot 
back when I was writing a lot of them. And, you know, that was always kind of my main area of focus when I was at Kotaku. I didn't do a ton of journalism or anything like that. I mostly did criticism and wrote reviews. And, you know, especially when I was doing more managerial stuff and making more decisions for the sort of brief period of time I was doing that, a lot of it was about <laughs> reviews. I actually got rid of the yes, no, maybe system. That was like my one act as deputy editor for the <laughs> nine months that I was deputy editor of Kotaku was getting mm-hmm. rid of rid of that system. Because I, you know, that's review scores is kind of a separate thing, but this stuff is all kind of related. It um, is, I think. Because scores are so fraught and they're part of that pressure that you experience right. as a reviewer. So yes, and so that is the problem with review scores, and I think it'd be good for us to try to keep focus on the timing thing, only because I think you're right that the score is like an essential part of this, because you're under a time pressure to stamp something definitive that cannot be changed. Um, did you see, by the way, like Pitchfork just changed the review scores in a bunch of their old mm-hmm. album yes. reviews? It's really, really funny. Like they, They're like, okay, so actually, silly. fine, this was kind of a masterpiece, <laughs> and they like, yeah, raised the score once or twice. Incredible. And it just underlines the critical uselessness of scores even while scores i totally acknowledge offer use to some people who like to go to just go to metacritic and see what is a good game for the system mm-hmm. and you kind or, of do get a sense of it i look at rotten tomatoes whenever i'm deciding Absolutely. what movies to watch so, even though i hate scores it's just one of those central tensions well what's funny is i was just looking at this the other day the score for cyberpunk at least on pc is like an 86 on metacritic right now it's like it's beaten like the forgotten city like some of my favorite games of this year it's beaten which just shows you how pointless it actually is Mm -hmm. and how you can never really know if you're going to enjoy something right well and it kind of and this cuts into the time thing right because that score is a moment in time and it was the moment in time when people had played the PC version of Cyberpunk 2077 they weren't aware of how jacked up the console version was and they played it in a few days so they pretty much only played the mainline quests which actually hang together significantly better than if you try to play some of the side quests that sort of interrupt the flow of it and that does contribute to how you feel yeah and you notice all the glitches that happen when you drive around and you see like oh if i actually look at all the pedestrians they're all carbon <laughs> copies of one another and like they behave uh, very strangely under certain circumstances. Like those are the kinds of things you notice if you spend a week with a game. Whereas I, I know our reviewer, uh, Carolyn Pettit only had, I think three days to beat it. And I man. told her like, please do not beat this for embargo. And then she just did it anyway, which that's a whole other thing mm-hmm. where people sometimes are just so, I mean, she's reviewed many games. She's been in the biz for a really long time and she's fantastic. Works at Kotaku now. And it's just like, you're already in it. You're already like, well, I know what the embargo is and I feel like I got to hit it. Like I've mm-hmm. been in that position as mm-hmm. well, even though, even if, you know, Steven or whomever Chris Plant is telling me like, don't worry about the embargo, you know that date and you're like, oh, I'll just stay up kind of late and I'll just quickly pull something together. And I think I know what I think of this. And then Maybe some time goes by and maybe you don't agree with yourself right. anymore. So, yeah, it cuts and it cuts both ways. Like there are games that I like more now than I did when I first played them and games that I like significantly yes. less now. So it can totally get you both ways. And it's interesting that one of the things that would always that I would always run into as a reviewer, it wasn't just the time to finish the game. It was the time to write something meaningful and good. And for me... That was always way more time. Like, no matter how long I spent on a game, I spent longer writing the review. And so that's additional time that you need to factor in, you know, on top of the length of the game, which sometimes is dozens of hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to Alan's point, and to, to answer Alan's question, um, could something like Metacritic blocking reviews for time or, like, uh, people essentially not doing the day one, hitting that review embargo, um, could that ever happen? And the answer is no, that's never going to happen because the embargo right. is, like, the all-important thing. Um, the problem is when a game comes in, like three days before that embargo yep. hits uh, or or less than a week essentially before that embargo hits and what happens is with game publishers it it can vary drastically um we've gotten games like persona 5 uh two months before their yeah embargoes. that was so far that was also um, nice i reviewed that one too and it was like a hundred hour game so it was, it was nice. amazing yeah it was amazing and it was like i mean that was a game that 
was already done and released in Japan already. So really, they just had right. to localize it, and then so so they could get away with having a a super early、uh, review schedule. But yeah, that was that was fantastic. And then there are games that just come in so hot that like、uh, they can't get them out to you all that early,、um, or they don't want to because they're worried for one reason or another. There are a lot of different like decisions that go into the calculus here,、um, or they they're having whatever issues, cert issues, or there could be all sorts of reasons why why code doesn't go out.、Um, Super early, but yeah, that's that's when things get really tricky, and you sometimes see、um, reviewers just talking about like, oh, spent the last like eighty <laughs> hours just doing nothing but playing this game and writing this review, and there's really no solution for that. The only solution for like fixing this system is to to get to for publishers to get review copies out earlier. I I mean, I think the other solution is for publications to be as lenient as possible, knowing that those are the conditions. I mean. Of course, we described Stephen and Kotaku sometimes allowing writers to write later. We do that at Polygon as well. I think if more publications did that again, easier for the for the two I biggest. I know,、like. I know, but I also feel like that just leads to this larger problem among games writers, where it's just become normalized for people to spend eighty hour weeks on something like this, and like guides writers in particular really、mm-hmm. take a beating that is often invisible to the average person. Like the reason you get a walkthrough on day one when you're beating your head against the wall is because somebody was playing it completely alone with no help. Help usually, and they were doing it like two weeks prior or, or two days prior, and. I I don't I don't know what the solution is for that. I think it's just like having a humane boss and knowing that if you work at one of these outlets, I know as a boss I'm like very staunchly in favor of trying to give people a humane work schedule and not encouraging them to overwork themselves for the sake of just hitting an embargo that happens on the PR person's say so. Yeah, I think also that the. Ju- It's not exactly a solution in the way that Alan is asking about, but I do think that the sort of broader sphere of video game critical discourse has expanded to the point that the whole Metacritic day one review aspect of it is just one planet in the solar system, and there are so many more ways of getting information about video games. Like Triple Click is a great example, but also Twitch streamers and YouTubers and other podcasters. Like podcasting to me. Is great because it's such a slow form of media. You have to listen to it. We never worry about embargoes. I mean, unless we happen to have an episode coming out, like when、mm-hmm. an embargo lifts, and we're like, "Oh, cool, we can talk about this right when the embargo lifts." But there's never a, a sense of like, "Oh man, I really got to power through this game." Like there, I guess, have been times I'm trying to finish something for a Beans Cast, but it's not the same at all. Kirk, that's because of all those lovely Maximum Fun members who help us make the show, and so we well, don't so, have to worry about well, Google、yeah. juice. But that's exactly, <laughs> and that's my point: is like we don't have. To worry about that, and that's a way better model, and it exists.、Mm. I mean, this show exists, and we make it. So, the more stuff like this, and、right. just alternate types of video games media that exist,、mm-hmm. the more they can consciously move away from that, which is totally something the three of us do. I mean, we're always like, no, we are never going to make a scenario where we all feel super pressured to like play through something. Because first off, I mean, the two of you have to do that enough for your day jobs, but also that's just a crappy way to consume games. It makes for worse conversation, and in the end, I think what people get. Out of the conversations we have about games is that they're relaxed and we just get to play things that we like and sort of talk about them, or you know, decide to talk about a game that we don't like and talk about that too. But it doesn't have that same kind of fraught time pressure, you know, competitive. Part of it, and I think that that just benefits the show in, in every way. Which is all well and good if you have a giant platform. If you're Kirk Hamilton and Maddie Myers and Jason Shire, and you can you you have this dedicated、uh, yeah. base of listeners, right? Like when you're just like a fledgling game site, and maybe you get a few thousand hits a, a month or something like that. Suddenly, Metacritic Day One embargo is going to drive you like more traffic in a single day than you get all month, and that helps you build your audience and your site. So it's like you create this ecosystem. Where in order to actually like get to the point where you can talk about games in a way that you just described, like the idyllic way,、um, you kind of have to play by the rules. That's the problem. I suppose so, but I don't think that it's quite as black and white as that. Like as either or,、sure. I think that you can just you can strive to foster that kind of like the better kind of. Video game discussion, and that will make your site or your outlet or whatever your podcast better. And then you'll have an audience that actually likes it. That's true. If it's good, yeah.、Um, okay. Well, let's 
answer a couple more questions uh, as much as fun as it would be to just talk about reviews for the next uh, for the entire episode <laughs> yeah it's an unsolvable quagmire Kirk you want to read this next one uh, Nick writes why do so many open world AAA games have extended drug or hallucinogenic sections just playing through Far Cry 4 and there's this whole Yogi and Reggie subplot where you're drugged Far Cry 3 had something similar Spider-Man had the sequence with Scorpion Tomb Raider had the Baba Yaga sequence etc why do so many games rely <laughs> on this crutch is every video game writer trying to be Hunter S. Thompson of the game world? Are they trying to break up the action and this is just the go-to? What's the deal? Uh, so yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the latter. I remember GTA V had a fantastic drug section where like these aliens pop up and I, I think it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's, <clears throat> it's, uh, uh, the answer is that A, yes, people are trying to break up the action and like drugs are a fun way to just like create all these new assets and like, like add stuff to your game that doesn't have to feel as real if you're like in a realistic setting. And, and most of these games have kind of at least semi realistic, at least grounded settings. So it's fun to like play around with that. Um, and the other answer is just, it's fun. It's fun to like exercise your creative muscles and get all supernatural and psychedelic and the Baba Yaga stuff in Tomb Raider was, was super cool. I remember um, it was fun to, to play around with um, or like any Arkham game where you have, you have uh hallucinogenic uh, like hallucinations yeah, Scarecrow. and Scarecrow, Scarecrow and, is in yeah. there and it's throwing just stuff at you. Yeah. I, <laughs> do you, did you guys ever watch mega 64 YouTube videos like 15 years ago? Do you, oh yeah, sure. I mean, me I think I saw like the yeah. GDC yeah. videos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're funny. There's a video, I think it's from like 2007. I don't know. It's where one of the guys is pretending to be Nathan Drake when Nathan Drake is on drugs. I think he gets hit with a blow dart. And so he's just sort of wandering around with like one hand yeah. over part of his yes. face. And then he's like <laughs> bumping into people everywhere he goes and just like. <laughs> I don't know, asking for, for his friends' names. And like, I don't even know why, but but for some reason they just reenacted this in a public market setting with like a bunch of normal people walking around. And like one of these comedians is just pretending to be on drugs as Nathan Drake and like looks completely absurd. And every time I play a video game sequence like this, I think about this where I'm like, how <laughs> weird does this character look right now? Like just walking around this situation, like the only one hallucinating and just bumping into <laughs> other people and mm -hmm. it's one of those video game things like there's some there's definitely something to this question that's like why why do video games revolve around your character and they're like whatever egotistical thing like adventure they're on which there's nothing more like that than a drug trip and i say that as a person mm. who's fine with it recreation is fine enjoy your lives listeners but like it is very tapped into that video game hero mold of like also everyone has to tolerate me while i experience whatever weird drug trip i'm on and bump into the npcs and like make them do what act out as whatever characters i'm imagining that they are as part of my diorama of my personal foibles i mean most I, heroes do that without being on yeah drugs, just smashing it's into true NPCs. it's true they do but like the drugs aspect just takes whatever version of their self-absorbed video game plot is and then heightens it even more by being like now everyone's wearing masks and <laughs> they're all a part of your world you know Yes. Um, I think this can be really tiresome and it can also be really amazing. Far Cry 3, I remember the dream sequences in that. And my main memory yeah. of that was this is a clever way for them to use assets from the game and then just put them underwater and make them appear and disappear in smoke. And it was all stuff that already existed, but they could just be creative with things that they'd already made, which I always think of Alan Wake, um, especially the DLC for Alan Wake, where you go into these totally wild nightmare worlds that are really just scenes from the original game and like assets from the game but they're upside down and floating and weird and like everything looks really cool actually it's like a, a cool challenge for an art director to take stuff they already made and put it into a dream where it's like the houses are like upside down and built into one another this is something Remedy's art team they did that in Control as well where there's like you know five identical rooms but one has all the stuff like all the furniture on the ceiling and you're like oh mm -hmm. they're just they took the one room but then can sort of cleverly play with it um, I think that Arkham Asylum, I think we can't overstate the importance of Arkham Asylum for this trend. I think that the first moment when Batman is gassed by Scarecrow and then the whole world falls apart and then like subsequent sequences in that game, is it all in that game where like he comes upon his parents in the alleyway and they do the alleyway thing, but it's like a I hallucination? I think so, yeah. It might be in one of the other ones, but I know what like, you're talking about. You play back through the introduction and then the game glitches out and it's, that's like very psychomantis, I guess. But having yeah. it 
like using drugs in that way, I guess, can be really cool and, and can lead to a lot of like really amazing creativity. And then, like, I don't know, it felt more obligatory to me in Spider-Man just because Spider-Man was so Batman-inspired in so many ways that once you're doing a drug sequence and it's like, oh, Peter's, like, coping with his fears, I was like, okay, I kind of already did this. And even subsequent Arkham games, they were always trying to top that first moment because he just walks into a room, and I remember he kind of coughs, Batman does, and you're like, weird, why did he cough? And then, like, he, and then just totally it just starts getting crazier and crazier really slowly. <laughs> and I think that that is just a clever thing. That can be used in a lot of clever ways. Last game I want to mention is, and this isn't drugs, but it's Spec Ops The Line, which mm. builds into its narrative some really amazing stuff where you think you're doing one thing and then it's revealed that you weren't. And it's really like your character is hallucinating because he's, I guess, losing his mind. But, um, but it's like a very, very effective trick of getting you to like you think you're killing bad guys and then it's revealed that you're not that kind of thing. And so yep. it can be used really artfully and really creatively, I think, even though sometimes it's just like drugs, ha ha, a little like Far, Far Cry 4, you know, you're smoking drugs. Look, it's uh, everything is neon now. There's sitar music playing. Ooh, there's a flying goat. Oh, can you believe it? Which can just <laughs> yeah. kind of can sort of be annoying. Yeah, I feel like it's similar to dream sequences for all the reasons you said, yeah. where it's like, because you can reuse assets, I mean, it's the same reason why movies do it or television shows do it. You can reuse mm -hmm. sets, but have something slightly different happen there that tells you something about the character. <laughs> and that can be really effective. I mean, Silent Hill 2 is the other example I thought of when you were mentioning Spec Ops The Line, where you have this character who's in this other world and, oh, is it similar to our world or not? And what's real and what isn't real? That can be very effective in a horror game or like a surprise. I would almost classify Spec Ops the Line as a horror game, actually, now sure, that I'm no, finishing I, this Absolutely sentence. a psychological horror it's, game, yeah. It's definitely a horror game. And so I feel like in that way, these kinds of sequences can be very effective, but they can also be cliche. And I, I think that's really tough. Like, I feel like I've seen mm. a lot of dream sequences in games that suddenly end. Like, I'm thinking of there's a dream sequence at the end of The Last of Us Part Two. There's nothing to even spoil. It's just like a character suddenly wakes up and you're like... Okay, like that was a little jump scare, you know, we're, we're dealing with some trauma here and what better way to, to mm -hmm. illustrate that a character's traumatized than having a quick dream sequence. Got it. Like that's that feels more cliche to me. But then something like Silent Hill, too. I'm like, that game's like weird and rad. So it can be good. <laughs> it can be really good. Yeah. So just do it well. That's my advice. That's, to that's the key. Just do this. But good. Have it be mm -hmm. good. <laughs> Do it, but good. Get it from Maddie Myers, game development <laughs> consultant. Try being better. Try being really you, good. This is this is okay, but could you make it good? That's that's my uh, my uh, my my bill is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Robin says, "I wanted to say I love your podcast so much, and I've listened to all most all the episodes Aww. of Triple Click despite starting less than a month ago. But I have one question for you all. So I, like Kirk, wasn't allowed to have consoles growing up, and so didn't really get into single player games until much later. And so I never got into JRPGs. My main question is this: How do you get into a new genre of games you're not used to? How do you feel find find games that are a bit more beginner friendly? And what are some babies' first JRPGs? A lot of the games in the genre <laughs> tend to be complicated and throw a lot at you very rapidly, and I worry about not being able to stick to it because of that. Um, I assume both of you will immediately answer Final Fantasy VI, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you Probably do that. Probably not. Probably would not be hear, my recommended I want to hear what you JRPG. guys think, since you guys are less JRPG aficionados than I am. Yeah, I mean, I guess it... I mean, it would help if we knew some of the other games that Robin likes, so, mm -hmm. so that we could kind of be like, okay, you're already into X, so try this JRPG because it's similar to X or Y. Uh, I will say... One of the first ones that I liked, I played Final Fantasy X and X-2, and I liked those. Kingdom Hearts is also extremely weird and funny, hilarious to me personally, and very endearing. And so if you, if you don't mind Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck being in a video game, it's certainly easy. Like It's, it's not like it's difficult mm -hmm. to, to understand how to play the first two Kingdom Hearts games. But I don't know. I mean, those were just where I started, but I don't know if that's necessarily great recommendations for somebody in 2021. There's probably yeah. modern examples that are better to go to now. Right. And it kind of 
like you said, it's a little tricky not knowing the games that Robin likes, and it sort of depends also on Robin's goal. Like, if the goal is I want to play some of these classic games, I agree. Mm-hmm. Actually, Final Fantasy X is like if you want to play your first Final Fantasy game, that's not a bad first one. Um, yeah. Seven Remake is technically a JRPG, and like, yes, there are modern JRPGs like that. And I mean, Scarlet Nexus, a game I just briefly talked about from this year, or I mean, Near Automatic, kind of, kind of has yeah, some JRPG elements, that's true. right? Like, so both of those games are, they're action games, but they have a lot of stats, a lot of sort of like JRPG type stuff, a lot of optional stuff. They have that sort of density that JRPGs have. So maybe I would say those, but then again, if someone's like, what's a good baby's first JRPG, it still feels strange to me to be like suggesting action games. So of course, I think that Persona 5 is a great suggestion. It Mm -hmm. is like a turn-based, straightforward JRPG. It's a billion hours long, but it's got, it's just so cool. It's so much fun, especially if you haven't like gotten into those styles of games before. Like there's just kind of something there for everyone, even though it is a pretty, you know, meat and potatoes turn-based RPG in a lot of ways. I mean, that's a great game. It just also, even that is a little bit different than most other JRPGs, right? Like Persona is its own whole vibe as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So Persona was going to be my big recommendation is like if you've never played a JRPG before, this is yeah. a good place to start because um, the turn-based combat in that f- doesn't feel quite as tedious as it can in even a game like Final Fantasy X. Right, especially um, five because five is like pretty player-friendly compared to the earlier ones, though four is still my favorite. Yeah, Persona 5 Royal. Um, and if you have a spare 100 hours to just play with a video game. Um, another <laughs> good, these days? <laughs> Another good, if you want the more traditional path, another good like uh, beginner's JRPG choice is Dragon Quest XI, um, which is just a really solid kind of traditional style JRPG, although I will say the music in that game is so bad that it almost ruins it for me. But Can I ask you about another series, um, Tales? Like, I saw, I saw mm-hmm. Tales from Arise in my Steam queue and was like, this looks kind of cool. Would that be... It looked like a kind of oh this could be a good starter JRPG. I've heard good things. Yeah, I mean you liked you liked Scarlet Nexus, so you might like it. It's very anime. So if you're into anime yeah. but you've never played a JRPG before, Tales is a really good way to go. Um, if you've never experienced any sort of like Japanese media, then Tales might not be super up your alley because like mm. the acting is 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 super like hammy and the writing and mm-hmm. it's very very anime. I will say. Um, main character of Tales of Arise is played by Ray Chase, um, also uh, best known, oh, I yes. think, as the yes. the voice actor, uh, the narrator of Blood, Sweat, and Pixels and Press Reset. Um, oh, I thought he wrote. I thought he wrote Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. No, yeah, he wrote. Yeah. That's no, my assumption. He wrote both of those books, and yeah. then yeah. you read them. I, thought, I think right. that's what happened. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I would recommend for beginners is a game called The Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky, which is mm. like. A super, super solid just like entry guide to JRPGs because it's got a very basic but like addictive turn based battle system. But, um, and it's also got this giant meaty story, and like every single NPC has like a name and a backstory. It's like one of those mm-hmm. games where it's just this giant epic that will keep you occupied for many, many hours. You know, also Fire Emblem. Does Fire Emblem count as a JRPG? I, you know, I almost said that. I, I don't know if it does, but if you already like sort of turn-based stuff like turn-based strategy games or or mm -hmm. like XCOM for example yeah or like if you're really into civilization or anything where you're just moving little squares or items around if you like moving squares you like moving squares around and you're like Mm -hmm. I also want to navigate some menus and level up some characters and learn some some fun stories in addition to that Fire Emblem Three Houses fun video game pretty and kind of maybe gets it's I wouldn't say it's a JRPG but I think it like heads you there like mm-hmm. after that you could you could play a final fantasy 10 and be on board with it i don't know but actually kirk uh, if someone came up to me and said hey i've never played a jrpg before what should i go with i would probably actually lean towards one of the action action games um mm-hmm. i would give them something like final fantasy 7 remake or like yep. i don't know a game like cross code or like something else that is that is more like just has really smooth gameplay because that kind of helps you ease into some of the crunchier parts of JRPGs, the stats and the menus and the items and stuff. Um, And then maybe you can start getting 
getting into turn-based stuff if you're really i don't know uh, turn-based combat is is definitely not for everyone like it needs to be you mm-hmm. need to be in a certain mind space to to enjoy it um it can be fun like while you're watching tv or something like that but in general i think it's something the people of our generation who grew up with the games like myself um just kind of like became accustomed to because there was it was the only option for for games back then and like we kind of grew grew fond of this these mechanics that i'm not so sure have held up all that great um but some of the games i mentioned i mean like uh, there's some really cool spins on the turn-based um battle systems like i mentioned i mean trails in the sky persona um another great one that i just played this year um was bravely default 2 um which despite having a 2 in it is actually um totally standalone and you can just play it on its own um and that's like another good example of a game that just plays with the turn-based combat um with like adds new spins to turn-based combat to make it a little bit more interesting a little bit more unusual than your average final fantasy or dragon quest game um but yeah i mean if you got a switch there's so many different directions you can go in they're like there's ports and remasters of all the old school final fantasy games you can check out final fantasy 12 do you, wor- wait, do you worry that we're like overwhelming poor robin i feel like now we've listed like 75 games Just play final yeah, fantasy 7 there's just it's so fine. many ways to go don't worry about it that's kind of the problem right is where we've now got is it's like well and there's this and there's this and there's this yeah i think we've i think we've got some good ones nailed but the down thing is like i don't really think it's useful to just have one game game recommendation that and that's it i think it would well be we made like eight game like, recommendations <laughs> no i know i think the best approach would be to like to to write all these names down go look them up on mm-hmm. youtube watch two minutes of each and see yeah. which one like is most appealing to you that way yeah mm-hmm. i mean anyway. clearly the best thing to do is to ask jason trier this question because he will give you eight answers and that's then true. tell you that he actually needs to give you even more answers because <laughs> there's so much more to say so you're welcome Robert. um so we we barely have any time left, so I'm going to turn this into a rapid-fire question. So Matt asked, okay. what are your thoughts on chill games? Do you have any games that you play to relax? Um, let's let's rattle off some some chill games, some games we play to, to relax. Kirk, Matty? Yeah, sure. I've, so I've actually been finding, while playing Outer Wilds, which is such a, like, in-your-brain game and requires so much of me, that I'm just finding it relaxing. Like, I've mentioned this before, but I like just having one... Ubisoft style game that I'm just sort of working my way right through. On. It's been Ghost of Tsushima for me, though I played a little more Far Cry 6 as well. And as much as that game is just sort of, it's like McDonald's almost to me playing it. I'm just like, yeah, all right, this is fine. But it's it's just a relaxing thing to do for half an hour. So some kind of big open world Ubisoft game where I'm just checking things off and clearing an outpost. I'm, I'm finding that very chill lately. That's mm-hmm. funny. I have the opposite, exact opposite reaction to those games. Those games do not mm-hmm. feel relaxing to me at all because it's like I have to make a whole production, loading up this like giant world. I have to figure out where to go next. I have to like, it's it's not relaxing at all. I mean, your all. PC does the loading of the giant world, but I, That's I get true. what you're saying. But then your PC gets all hot. You know what's relaxing to me? <laughs> what's relaxing is games that don't set off the PC fans. They're like super low impact. <laughs> like like I get stressed out like when my, my PC is getting hot. Um, because you know I mean? my answer... <laughs> My answer is I've been playing some phone games before yep. bed and those games are Tetris, Bejeweled and a game that I think it, it's this game was not made by people who speak English and I don't recommend it. It's called like Water Switcher or something and it's like there's no text in the game. You just have these different colored like potions and you pour them from beaker to beaker and you have to like make all the potions line up according to the right colors. I'm I'm explaining it poorly, but it's like, it's so relaxing and yet it is also weirdly focusing. Like you could play Mm -hmm. it forever and ever. It's like one of those games where you're like, why have I been doing this? It's like the perfect game to play before bed when you're just trying to get your brain to just do something for 30 minutes. I don't know. It's... I don't know if I recommend it or not, but that's what I do if I want to relax is <laughs> no, play I'm that with you. kind of game. Flow state I'm only. I'm 100% with you. I My relax game is threes, which I still yes. have not gone a day without playing. I probably I probably have like 4,000 hours locked into that game. I was game wondering if you still play that game as much as oh, you yes. used to. I get Every that. I get that. The yeah, butterfly it's... mode in Bejeweled, if people who play Bejeweled are going to know what I'm talking about. It's a great yeah. mode. 
It's fun. Yeah, stuff. my wife is into Candy Crush. That's her like relaxed game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Although I make sure she doesn't spend money on it because like that of course would be, that not would be worth it. Um, and then the other thing I, I do like to like play some of the old 4X Sid Meier games that I liked as a kid um, to relax as well, like uh, Alpha Centauri or like Colonization. Sometimes I'll load those games up on my on my uh, Mac and just play those while watching TV or something to relax. Okay, that is it for burning questions. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll be back with one more thing. Well, hello. I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news. We got an expose. All the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. Well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, (laughs) you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC, or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time, and we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. Hello, we are back. Kirk, we Maddie, are. it is time for one more thing. Maddie, what is the hot new game that you were playing as your one more thing? <laughs> It's true. I'm playing the hot new game. I'm playing Square Enix's Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and I did get a code from them. And a lot of people really liked this game, and I have played it for three and a half hours, and I don't like it yet. So I'm going to keep trying, but I'm going to explain to you guys what the deal is with this game in a way that will hopefully illustrate to the listener whether or not they think they would like it. So this game is about the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, the movie with Chris Pratt in it, but he's not in this game and you are playing a Star-Lord, but you're playing as a version of Star-Lord that is not played by Chris Pratt and does not look anything like Chris Pratt. He's a totally different, like undercut pompadour situation. People make jokes about the haircut in the game. It's a whole thing. He's a totally different guy. And he also has a different situation in this game than he has in the comics, which is a little confusing for me as somebody who knows the comics a bit, but there's some overlap. Um, Like there's a new character in this game that I won't spoil, but she doesn't exist in the comics. And I was sort of surprised by her existence and did some Googling and was like, am I crazy? No. So there's, you kind of have to, if you don't know anything about the comics or the Mm -hmm. movies, you might enjoy this game more or you'll be like me and you know the comics and the movies and you also are playing this game and you're like, okay, this is a whole other universe, but it looks (laughs) a whole lot like those other two universes with which I'm familiar. But that's not why I don't like it. There's so much talking in this game. There's constant talking. There's so much like Whedon-esque or I guess James Gunn-esque dialogue happening at all times. And I truly mean at all times to a level that is actually wildly impressive. Like the amount of dialogue that they wrote for every single second (laughs) of this game. Like you as Star-Lord are walking around the ship and Groot and Gamora are like talking to one another and like Groot is only saying I am Groot of course and like Gamora is like you know wisecracking or whatever and like rockets in the background like breaking something and like Drax is also that like everyone is constantly arguing with one another and talking and at any moment you can walk up to anyone and make dialogue choices like Mass Effect style or Telltale Games series style and it'll be like Rocket will remember that or whatever about like you siding with Drax in an argument or something or like Gamora will get annoyed at you over something and like that'll come up in missions later. That sounds awesome. Wait. <laughs> yeah, okay. what, what, you don't okay. like Okay. I 
I just am so tired of it. Like, I feel like I'm going insane. So like, I'm, I'm like trying to play the game and like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like trying to fight in combat and they are constantly talking at me. And like the combat's kind of tricky at points. Like you have to use every single person's powers. Like it's kind of like a team battle. Like you really need to use everyone and you need to constantly be dodging attacks as star Lord. You can run out of health fairly easily if you don't. And I love that. I love dodging. I love telling everyone what to do. That part of the combat is actually quite fun when you get the hang of it, but they're constantly talking and like not all the lines are good and funny. Some of them are very funny, funny enough that even like my girlfriend walking through the room will hear lines and laugh at them and she doesn't even know these characters. So I consider that a a winning endorsement. Like there's some really good one liners in here. Then there's also Gamora saying knife to meet you when she uses her knife. Not a 10 out of 10 from me on that particular line. And like it's it feels like they had to write so much dialogue that they can't all be winners, you know? And like, so I'm struggling, but I'm going to keep going. I do really like the combat, actually. I think it's fun and interesting. The puzzles are extremely simple, but that's fine because the point of it is not the puzzles to get through. Like, this is a third person, uh, you know, narrative game. I get it. It's all about the talking. It's not about the puzzles that I'm getting (laughs) from going from one set piece to the next. That's really not the point. Every enemy looks the same. They're not exciting enemies at all. I've fought like the same square aliens like a billion times and the same cube, like uh, spherical aliens a billion times. That's fine. Super boring. That's not the point. The point is the talking. So I need to either fall in love with the talking or like stop playing this game. That is my take on this. Interesting. You two should play it. You should play it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. The reviews are better than I expected. We will. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk more. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it on the show. Cause I do want to. I mean, I want to know where the story goes. It's yeah. just yeah, yeah, yeah. A we'll, lot. Definitely we'll talk about it. it more. Yeah. Um, Kirk, what about you? What's your one more thing? My one more thing is a little game called Death Stranding. <laughs> that, cool. that I, I can't believe it. I can't. Believe that you're I find playing myself again. playing again. So this is the third time that I've played Death Stranding. This is an unusual situation, I think, for anybody because Sony sent me codes for this game three times. So, like, I would not have bought this game three times. And I don't think most people probably do. And yet here we are because, you know, I'm, I'm getting to play it for so a third time. So you got a PS4, PC, and then now PS5. Correct. And so now wow. I'm playing the director's cut, which was recently released on PS5, is a finally fully updated version of Hideo Kojima's Strange um, I think many people would say masterpiece. Others would say like divisive masterpiece. I'm more and more in masterpiece camp playing this game. Um, I have gotten farther in the director's cut than I ever have before. Can you transfer your save from the PS4 version? You know, you can, but I decided not to because it's sort of an onerous process. Like you have to have close out all your orders on your PS4 save. And I was in the middle of some stuff and I loaded it up on PS4 and it was like running at 30 FPS. And I was like, because I'd already played it on PC. It was like, I can't. I don't care. I'm just going to start over because I know they <laughs> changed some stuff in the director's cut. So I just started over again. This is the third time that I've played through the opening area so I know it so well at this point Um, but now I'm actually farther than I've ever gotten in this game um, and am really like first off I've really gotten a sense for why people like it so much just for what is so strange and satisfying about playing it as much as I this cutscenes are ridiculous and all the like endless talking is sort of dumb it's funny but it's sort of dumb when you're playing when I'm playing this game there's a headspace that I'm in that is not like any other game. And it's this is the best version of it by far. Like, it looks incredible. It runs really well on, on PS5. But the DualSense, the controller, as you might guess playing this game, is used to great effect. I mean, the vibration is cool, but the triggers, because you use the triggers to grip Sam's backpack. So, like, you pull tighter and the heavier your backpack is, like, it starts pulsing through the triggers, like your exertion. You can really feel it. They've done some really cool stuff, which I'm not surprised. I think when the DualSense was announced, people are like, well, this is like, you know, Death Stranding is going to be this showpiece game for this. And it really is. And that makes it cool. But it's just this feeling of this vast, strange landscape that's really hostile that you just have to walk across. And that alone is a very interesting thing to do in a video game, a moment to moment. I mean, it's just like a fun video game experience and challenge. And then you also get this feeling of conquering it. Like I've now laid this huge highway through this area that was totally impassable before. And that feeling of like conquering this bizarre landscape while also uncovering this totally bizarre story, it's really like 
it's got its hooks in me. I'm, I'm totally into it. I'm going to keep playing it and like finding space for it amid other things that I'm playing. I've just finally been like, okay, third time, I guess, is the charm. Even though I liked it fine the first two times, I'm really like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish it. Maddie, I think you, did you finish the game? Right? I never finished it. I've, I've thought about it. I have heard the director's cut is really good and I'm it like, is. maybe this is when I'll go back and finish it. Uh, but it it has it can also be very frustrating. I well, I yeah. loved I was more in the camp of being like I love what this game is doing even though it's absurd. But yeah, I yeah, would I'll like keep, to finish it. Someday. I'll keep playing and see what I think as I get farther and then maybe if I'm like, yeah, it's so good. You got to see the ending or I know the ending is crazy, but like it, when I get there maybe that'll inspire you to finish it. I as mean, well. at this point I've like been spoiled on some of it, which I don't mind at all. Like I've sure. seen some cutscenes and stuff that I'm just like, I this is <laughs> insane. Like I I don't know. So I I'm yeah. excited for you to get further. Yeah, so anyways, cool game. Kirk, have you just given up on your your plan of playing one game at a time? Or <laughs> at this point, yes. I'm like disaster right now. Like it's a total disaster. I'm playing like four different things and it sucks. Like I wish I hadn't had to give up on it, but like I'm like, well, I really want to play Death Stranding. So here we are. Um, cool. So my one more thing is another game. Um, and this is pretty funny. So the other day, so I've gotten this game recommended me by recommended to me by a few people. But the other day, mm-hmm. I uh, there was a tweet that I saw that was like, it was the it was it was at the three of us or something i'm sorry i I don't have that in front of me so apologies to whoever sent this but it was basically like hey this is a game that jason will rave to maddie and kirk about um (laughs) and i enjoyed seeing that i was like okay cool um it was a game called elect head um and it's a puzzle platforming game and then shortly after that we got an email to our triple click at maximumfun.org account from the pr person behind this game being like hey i just saw this tweet saying that this is a game that jason will rave about to kirk and maddie so funny and then and then our buddy russ this is really how the sausage is made our buddy russ fresh stick over at the besties um and polygon he also was messaging a couple of us being like hey you should play this game so anyway so i jumped into this game elect head um it's really cool it's a fun little puzzle platformer it's it would have been cool if after all that you'd been like it sucks ass i hate it (laughs) yeah no um I wouldn't say it's like mind blowing or anything. It's not one of those games where I'll be, I would be like, you guys have to drop everything and play this right now. Cause it's not, it's just like a fun little, like two hour, just like puzzle platformer that you can, it's, it reminds me a lot of, um, box boy in that it's just kind of like a low, low, low fi, um, just like low impact, relaxing, fun little brain teaser of a game that makes you feel super get that dopamine hit every time you solve a puzzle and like pull something Mm -hmm. off. And the concept basically is that like you're this little creature that like electrifies floors and you can use that in all sorts of ways to solve puzzles and you can like throw your electrified head at walls and stuff. And uh, it's cool. It's a fun little game. All that head. What are you playing it on? PC? PC. Yep. Yeah, I'll check it out. Sweet. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Um, all right, that is it for this week's episode. Just as a reminder, we will be coming back at you on Monday with the Outer Worlds Beans cast for all you members out there. Other yeah. than that, it is time to say goodbye. We will be back next week when it will already be November. Man. Wow. What a world. Yeah. Wild. All right. See you all in November. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.